I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as um, simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more know, doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. We may be on the verge of more change in college football. And no, no teams as of yet are leaving the Big Ten or the Pac-12 or the ACC to go somewhere else like the, I don't know, SEC, but there is news about how conference realignment might happen in the Big Ten, as well as some more talk about what I'm calling, Nate, the League of Extraordinary Pinky Promises between the Big 12 or the Big Ten, the SEC, the ACC and the Pac-12, promising with no formal agreement that we're going to keep lockstep about college football and its future. So uh, you wrote an article about this yesterday. Yeah. How you feel? How you feeling about it? Uh yeah, no, good. It's it's um you know, so the Athletic reported based on comments made by Gary Barta, the athletic director at Iowa, that the Big 10 was considering um and look, like they're considering a lot of things, but the yeah. primary elements of the report um were that they're considering moving from a 9-game schedule to an 8-game schedule in the Big 10 mm-hmm. and and the biggest one is that that the Big Ten is considering removing the distinctions between East and West, right? Yeah. So not not a um, not switching teams around and switching right into yeah. two different pods from what they currently have, but just removing those distinctions altogether, so that you have a few games that are protected every year with teams that you have your best rivalries with what have you um but then making the schedule more equitable via random right like right making making it more random and so if if that's the case um yeah i mean i think it i think it it changes the dynamic of what the big 10 has been for the last really 10 years yeah pretty dramatically i i still find it interesting because part of this conversation is driven by television and the Big Ten Network and Fox and ESPN and ABC and all these TV stations that want the highest rating and the best games. So does that really change who Penn State's going to play? Because who who are their protected rivalries, do you think? We know the biggest protected rivalries are always going to be the ones that everyone comes up with first. But Penn State has literally chosen the tagline, Unrivaled. Who are they playing? Yeah. Yeah. No, I, 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 well, first of all, part of the move to an eight game schedule would also include games like annual games with the ACC and the PAC 12, similar to what basketball does with the ACC big 10 challenge. Um, the, you know, there are other ones, the Gavit games with the big East and the big 10. Uh, and so you see those every year. And I think that, that, part of that equation would be moving to right so you would you would be insured having 10 
Power Five opponents, right. eight in the Big Ten, and then one each from the Pac-12 and the ACC. Yeah. Um, but no, should do that. by the way, they should do that like the NFL does. So if you finish eighth in your conference, you play the eighth ranked team in the Pac-12 and in the uh, in the ACC. Now the top yep. teams are going to not like that, but that would create more equity instead of a concentration of power. And we'll see how that goes. But yeah, you yeah, have I, to say. I, well, no, I just I, I don't I don't necessarily understand why football scheduling has to be done ten years in advance. I, I, yeah, like I, I'm not sure that that is, that that fits what is needed at this point in the sport. Um, but no, like, look, part of the conversation and what has happened in in at least in Penn State Penn State's perspective over the last nine, 10 years is all of the conference championship winners, right? For the last nine years have come out of the Big Ten East. Yep. Nine years in a row. Yep. So uh if you want to make the argument that oh well Wisconsin has good years some some years and Iowa has good years some years, sure. Yeah, they that, get to make fine. it to an extra game. Correct. Yeah. They don't win that game. And so it there there is a history to draw from to say, hey, uh if 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 you're Penn State, if you're Michigan, right, and yeah. you're looking at the way that the, the, the conference is currently structured, and you have to get through Columbus to make it to that game, to the Big yeah. Ten Championship game, and really to make it to the Big Ten Championship game absent the instance in Ohio State in 2016 when Penn State made it to the championship game and Ohio State didn't, but Ohio State made the playoff and yeah. Penn State didn't. Yep. Absent that example, for the most part, if you want to get to the playoff in the playoff's current structure, that's where you have to get. Well, what if the the what if it stopped being that there was a West champion and an East champion, and instead it was simply the the two teams with the best record, right? Yeah. It, the, the best in-conference record at the end of the season. You could conceivably have two, quote-unquote, East teams yep. playing and meeting in that championship game to to actually crown the best team and 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 send the best programs and then you would have that playoff. You would have rematches at that point, too. So you would have... Games that have more familiarity, more stakes. I guess my initial point being, you're not going to get rid of playing Ohio State if you're Penn State. That game no. has been too good. So yeah. this opens the opportunity, especially and from from a television standpoint, the competition and the 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 intensity of those games, especially like whiteout games. You don't lose Ohio State at the whiteout if you're ABC. That is yep. non-negotiable. But what yep. you're talking about here is then the opportunity to replay that game at the championship game. I think that's yep. important to remember because I don't think Penn State's getting out of playing the top teams. They're going to be. It's just going to be a different avenue for them to get a rematch. Yeah, and I, I don't. I don't know that you necessarily want to stop playing the best team, right? Like, right. You, you want to still have that, but I, I don't think that there would be resistance to the notion of, hey, if if Michigan was, uh, again, in the West and swapped out for someone um, or some a, a program of less stature, at least traditionally speaking, like that would 
that would change the dynamic a little bit. Like that yeah. would change the dynamic of really what Wisconsin's looking at every year. Yep. What Iowa's looking at every year. I mean, if does that change? If not no, not to not to cut you off again, but just going back to my original point as well of this East Division over the last ten years has created some great football. Sure. So if you're Penn State, are you not playing Michigan every year? Because they've been playing Michigan almost every year for how long now in the Big Ten? And you know, I, I I'm just thinking of and and probably this is me thinking inside the box. Michigan State would be the closest thing to an actual rival for Penn State, so that would likely stay on the schedule. You've got Iowa, which is also the closest thing Penn State has to an actual rival. And I think those might be protected games. And then you've got uh, the marquee games. I So you, I'm still looking at four games every year that Penn State has to play if I'm coming from a TV perspective. Yeah, but Is, I don't... Do you think that's right? No, I don't think that's right. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's, that's fine. Right. Like, yeah, I don't, I, don't think, I don't think that that would be really what any of those if you're the big 10 your biggest problem right now is that your own structure your own rules are helping again like people want to take this as though it's a definitive it's not it is part of the equation that precludes you from being part of the conversation in the college football playoff yeah. right like yep. you you are you are automatically precluding yourself based on the way that your divisions are currently stacked and currently arranged is that you don't even have like you don't have an opportunity to really realistically send two teams into the college football playoff the way that the SEC does every year at this point. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I think I think that they have to take a serious look along with the ACC, along with the Pac-12 at what what is necessary if First of all, if this four game playoff continues, if it's not an eight or 12 or 24 game playoff, whatever, what have you, uh, if if it's not that and it stays four, how do you position yourself to be more relevant? And yeah. part of being more relevant is having more games that the best teams can win. Yep. Oh, bottom so line. So it goes to, if we're talking again and looking at the SEC model, now that's going to be upset quite a bit by the inclusion of Oklahoma and Texas into the SEC. Sure. But right now, what has worked for the SEC during the college football playoff era is they've got uh, Alabama in the West and Georgia in the East. Who's the Georgia here? We know who the Alabama is. Who's the Georgia that you want to make sure gets to the SEC championship game more frequently? Yeah, I mean, that's a great question. I think that the argument would probably be for the Big Ten traditionalist, Michigan. Yep. I I, I don't think that there's any question about that. Yep. Um, you know, Sorry, I'm trying to... I want you to dispense the hard truth. I'll just ask the question, yeah, yeah. the leading question yeah. that gets, yeah, like that gets everyone upset. <laughs> Penn State's record speaks for itself over the last two decades. And for two decades, you're really kind of limited to 2005, 2008, 2016, 2017 in terms of that national relevance. And so Michigan, I know, has had some struggles of its own at times, but certainly recent history just says like, hey, this is this is the more relevant program on that scale and you even if it's want to have even if it's incremental 
I think that's important too, is that when we talk about this, and you you make a great point there, but it's like 55-45, 60-40. It is not a wide gulf. But the the marketing, the prestige, everything you just said is absolutely right that the one that is more favorable, slightly, is Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, but, but again, <laughs> by eliminating the distinctions, you don't have to have a... It doesn't have to be that cut and dry. Like it doesn't right. have to be even, even I think that th there's an argument to be made. Like the SEC doesn't help itself necessarily by having that distinction. If you eliminate the, the East and the West and just have the best teams play it out, it doesn't have to be, oh, these, these are the two teams that are always headed on a collision course for the championship game. It can simply be, oh, these are the two best teams who have emerged through the course of the season. And even if they've already played each other, it's fine for them to play again and be able to, to legitimately uh, pre present themselves as options for the playoff. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I, I just, I just, it it it, it opens up much more opportunity for that second team to be up for grabs, and then by proxy, the ability to knock off the number one team. And I think that's ultimately what we're talking about here: is the stranglehold that's happened because of the advantages baked in at the beginning of this have perpetuated the entire time. Sure. Yeah. No. I'm. I'm. The people in that room need to start thinking more seriously about how to make themselves more relevant. Yeah. Whatever, whatever that takes. What, how, and, and again, like you said, thinking inside the box, think outside the box, stop, stop relying on so many traditional elements because uh, again, what you're seeing right now in college football is a remaking of the rules. Yep. They, it, it's just, it is all up in the air right now. NIL has rocked and changed everything. The transfer portal has rocked and changed everything. Okay. Adapt. Yep. Start, start, start to carve a path forward that isn't so ingrained and holding on, latching onto, you know, what's taken place for the last hundred years. The last hundred years are not necessarily as relevant to college football as they've always been. Yeah. It just doesn't have to be that way. So let me ask you this. Do I have permission to ask you this first? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. Don't know why I phrased it that way. Um, but this is a this is a this is another question. The League League of Extraordinary Pinky Promises with the Pac-12, the Big Ten, and the ACC promising that they're going to hold more to the traditions of the last hundred years that you just described. Yep. Is that first off that the it's kind of a joke. There's no formal agreement. There are no rules. There's no repercussions. Just like there's no real repercussions from the NCAA if you just choose to ignore it. But it is the new format we seem to be going into. Is it a mistake to to not adapt and dive headfirst like the SEC has into accumulating power and creating a vacuum outside of that? That's what the SEC has done by going after the biggest schools in the Big 12, is they are, they are capitalisming football, where they're absorbing other, other big names to make themselves bigger and make themselves more relevant and more dominant. 
is this a mistake to go into a federation that is all based on, you know, we, we promise. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, the Big Ten, when it came out with the Big Ten Network, right, when, when Jim Delaney was at the forefront of that, the reaction to it was one of arrogance, right? Like, how does the Big Ten, how does this conference for football and basketball think that it can dictate to cable companies that they will all charge their consumers extra to carry Big Ten sports, right? Like, the, the, the very notion of that was audacious. Well, it worked. It worked. Yep. It was the first. It was the first to do it, and it set the stage for everything that's happened in the time since the SEC pairing with with ESPN, the ACC, and the ACC network. You know, these are things that the Big Ten went out in front of everyone else and just said, "Hey, this is what we're going to do. This is the model. This is this is how it can be moving forward." By pairing with the ACC, by pairing with the Pac-12, and again. Now you're seeing the ACC hanging up the expansion of the playoff. It 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 feels safe to me, right? Like I I I'm not able, and you're not able. Lots of people are not able to know and to see what the future will look like, and we we respond to things as they happen. But yeah. there there is there is a value to that. There is a there is a massive value to the conference to have that leadership and to have someone and something step out in front and carve the path. And again, making this about hey, we're all doing this together, and so whatever the other one does, we're going to be in agreement with. With I don't see I don't see that being a long term sustainable solution. To, to, to what needs to happen in college football. Especially seeing as in every single conference, there are, you know, 14 different actors. There are, there are 12 different teams that all have their own goals and agendas. And I, you think Ohio State's going to toe the line on everything? Maybe. Maybe. But maybe not. And there goes your one ace. If you're this... The, what is the... So... With Lincoln Riley and that pending in USC, where are the powerhouses in college football in any of these three conferences? You've got Clemson, who's had a great run, mm-hmm. Ohio State, and I know that that's, that's that's part of the problem of the college football are playoff. Saying, are you saying outside of the SEC? Outside of the SEC, yeah. Uh, it, yeah. But we're talking about Oklahoma. Four, who's yeah, going Oklahoma to the SEC? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. So I mean it's just it as as much as these are problems created by the college football playoff, they are also problems that aren't going away and if the ACC is holding things up not wanting to expand the playoff, that's the biggest nut you need to crack anyway. That 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 is a that it is a massive mistake. It it, it was a massive mistake not to make the playoff bigger in the first place. It's a, yep. an, an even more massive mistake. Like just the, this pretense of academics in some way disrupting the ability to expand the play. Like it is baloney. It's yeah. it's just absurd to, to even have that as part of the conversation at this point, these, these, these players operate on a completely different 
academic calendar schedule Set of rules like they yep. they have their own they have their own tutor like it's they, they have a building for their own tutors not only do they have their else. own tutors they have a whole building for them <laughs> yeah yeah uh, so in any case um no i mean I, I i just i just think that that the way that they move forward is I mean, it'll be very interesting to see if they can dictate together these three conferences, if they can dictate together uh, what everyone else does. And my sense is that they won't be able to do that. Like yeah. they're not going to tell uh, they're, they're not going to tell the SEC what to do. They're not going to hold that up. If the SEC wants to create its own separate playoff because the ACC gets in the way, they'll do that eventually. Yeah. Yep. Or they'll just, you know, do their own season and crown their own champion. You know, from the whole the whole thing, and I, which I think is what you sort of just said. Okay, so back to the original point of your article is that this would benefit this this conference realignment in the Big Ten would benefit Penn State. How quickly would we see the change happen if it does, and then how long would it take for that to actually show up as a difference maker for the Nittany Lions? It, just yeah, in, in your question. idea. Yeah, no, I, th I think that the what was suggested is 23, 2023. I don't think it's going to happen for 2022. But it, if if this stuff was implemented for 2023 and moving forward, yeah, I mean, I, look, all of this stuff, if if it changes, will, I mean, this is a cop-out, but it it's it's immediate change and long-term change. Like, it's... It, <laughs> the, the the results of it will play out over time I, but again like this is not the lone component of right. penn state's issues like the lone hurdle that penn state has to tackle as being that oh penn state's in penn state has to play nine games and that's what's hanging it up right or right. that penn state has to play ohio state every year and michigan every year and because of that penn state right don't <laughs> there, worry there are much bigger problems we're going to be talking facilities later in the show so don't worry yeah, we'll be getting to that yeah, yeah it's not <laughs> it's it's a it's a lot and yeah. and you have all of these different balls that you're trying to juggle and move forward with all at the same time and they all matter they all play a part in how, how Penn State and how the rest of the Big Ten is going to proceed moving forward. Yep. This is the BWI Daily Edition. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, Senior Editor and Renee Bauer. We're having an awesome conversation about looking forward at the future of college football based on his article yesterday. Go read it at bluewhiteillustrated.com. And I should have said this to begin with. Subscribe for a dollar because you get all that information, all that insight, all that knowledge for just a dollar, 12 months of access. I said this yesterday on the show. If you sign up for Blue White Illustrated, you get the YouTube and web content for exactly $1. Anything we do on the internet costs you a dollar. And this didn't cost you any of that dollar. So subscribe here, like the video, go sign up for a dollar. Just scroll down while I'm talking, click the top link. That's the one that has the, the sign up to join for just a dollar because we're going to be giving you this information and the, the tectonic plates that you don't feel shifting underneath your favorite sport. Well, we got uh, a seismologist over here that's going to keep you up to date on what's going on when the volcano is going to erupt. You like that? No, let's not get carried away. <laughs> Listen, I am part like... Film analyst, sure. Host of this show, sure. Salesman, 
there we that's that's my other skill here for the for blue white illustrated so don't get in my way nate you are a seismologist and a geologist you are pierce brosnan in uh in the volcano movie from the 90s sun death no what was that what was that movie called oh i used to love that movie um if you remember i don't know was it just volcano was that what it was called it might have been. I, I know what you're talking. I know what you're talking about. A volcano erupted in yes. the movie. Yeah, and he was the oh, one no. scientist that was like, "We need to evacuate everybody." And there's always oh, no. the there's always the government official that's like, "But what will that do to this town? We aren't going to listen to you, Europe." And then, of course, the volcano erupted. Anyway, everybody dies. Yeah. So, spoiler alert: Pierce Brosnan doesn't die. And I hope to God it was actually Pierce Brosnan in that movie. Now that I'm thinking about it, it, it had to be. Yeah. I remember that. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDIC. You ready to get ready to answer some questions, Nate? Yeah, what do you, what do you, what do you got for <laughs> me? Where, where are we going? Uh, we are going to answer your questions as submitted on uh, Twitter. So at Thomas Frank Carr. We're going to be doing this more during the offseason, answering questions from the audience. So at Thomas Frank Carr, at Nate Bauer, BWI. I'll put this back up here quickly. Here you go, Nate. Smile for the camera again. Nate Bauer, BWI, at Thomas Frank Carr. I'll be putting those out. Usually like, like doing this on Thursday. So Wednesday night, look for that. And then, of course, if you're a message board member, you know, we'll... You can ask us questions anytime, but I'll be soliciting for questions there as well. So that's where our questions are coming from, both the Blue White Illustrated message board, which is a great reason to sign up for a dollar, or on Twitter. So here's our first question. Are you ready, Nate? I'm ready. Okay. Even if you weren't, we're going. Uh, one of our message board members, Old Frog 26 says, The loss of Jordan Stout and the change in special teams coaching has flown a little bit under the radar recently. So two questions. Who replaces Stout and what type of performance should we expect and i love somebody that does the thing that you and i do with james franklin nate which is here's a here's one question that's actually two questions will there be a substantial change in the special teams scheme and performance stacy collins coming in from uh boise state to be the new uh, special teams coordinator after joe lorg went to oregon uh, Ron, uh uh nate what are we looking at here in terms of who's replacing stout we'll start there so it, the options would appear to be Barney Amore, who is a transfer from Fordham and had uh, one season. He's a he, he will be a super senior. He had one season of as the starter at Fordham uh, and, you know, didn't come to Penn State to not really be part of the equation. And so right. 
it, right? Like, uh, I'm not saying that it guarantees him the job. It, it's far from that because uh, Alex Pachetta, the punter who is coming in in the class of 2022, is was the top-rated punter in the entire country for the class of 2022. However, and this is something that speaks to question number two, I think that Penn State's philosophy for special teams is dictated by James Franklin and then implemented by the people that he hires to to do that, right? Like there's, yeah. there's an alignment there in terms of he's not hiring a second linebackers coach who happens to do special teams. It is yeah. a, it's the exact opposite. It's a special teams coach who can do defensive backs coverage right, or coaching. Right. And so uh, in terms of changing scheme, changing priorities, those things, I, I don't think that you're going to see this huge departure. Now, what I wanted to say back to Pachetta is Penn state's, Penn State's philosophy on on its specialists, the kickers and the punters, is they want to they want to be able to have their scholarship specialists come onto campus and not have to play that first year, yeah. if at all possible. They they want to be able to have a senior uh, moving out and then kind of bequeaths that job to a redshirt freshman moving forward. Um, and so that, that you know, again, it's all based on performance. So whoever comes in and whoever looks the best and wins based on pure statistics, right, in in all of the punting and all of the kicking that they track throughout the offseason, uh, spring practice and the summer and preseason camp, they'll win that job. But if I, I think if there was an ideal path, that's what it would look like. So I wanted to. I, I'm I'm scrambling here because I I just noticed something on uh, the website gopsusports.com, which of course is the official website for Penn State football. One of the uh, one of the punters here, three hundred pounds. Three hundred. What what am I what am I looking at here, Nate? Yeah, he's he's a he's a big dude. I don't remember his name off the top of my head. Six you got it? six three oh two. I had it, and then of course my computer decided that it didn't want to show me again. Gabe Nuosu. I was trying yeah. to take a screenshot so I could show you because I've looked at it a, a couple of times, and it's six foot six three oh two. So and uh, and if you need an extra offensive tackle, that's what I'm thinking. Like, that, just go to that punter room. Go yeah kickoffs. You have a three hundred pounder on kickoffs? Yeah, sure. First off, if if he's big and he can he can boot it out of the back of the end zone, you don't need that. But three hundred and two pounds. Wow. Okay. So let's get to our next question. Uh, this one we're gonna go to another one of our message board members. Tin Man says, since the renovations are going on, where is the off season weightlifting happening, or is the existing weight training area not affected by the renovations? Of course, Penn State is expanding its weightlifting area. Nate, do you have an answer for that? Yeah. So uh, uh, James Franklin brought it up at, in one of his press conferences how efficiently and effectively they made the move, but they did clear out the weight room as it currently stands and put all of that stuff into a section of Haluba Hall. So I, I haven't been over there since 
mm, the middle of December, but um, yeah, that's, that's where it all was. It's almost like a, um, like if you've ever been to a, uh, like an expo center or a conference, right. With those, the, the bars that are up with the, the hanging drapes yeah. that partition off sections. That's what it's like. Yeah. Uh, a, it, a job so expo has, where you go through the, the booths. Yeah. Correct. And so it's, it's just that entire wall from the, the end zones all the way to the other end zone of weightlifting equipment. That and, and of Which course, honestly, is more room. Like that's it's more room than than what they had in in the weight room yep. pre construction. But if you wanted to use Haluba Hall, now there's a giant weightlifting machines all over the place. So it doesn't I, imp it doesn't impact since they moved to one field instead of the two eighty yard fields that they used to have. Mm -hmm. Since they've since they've moved to one hundred yard field, it does it doesn't impact the field of play. So they're fine. Our next question comes, uh, we're actually going to double dip here because these are questions about freshmen, uh, Nate. Bryson 10 and A.H. Rad Dad Jeans. Do you have Rad Dad Jeans, Nate? You a Rad Dad? What are, what are, what are Rad Dad Jeans? Because uh, I'm... <laughs> somebody, uh, a friend of mine just asked me what the best jeans are, and I said uh -huh. sweatpants. Oh, you're you are a lost pants soul. Are the best you yeah, are a lost jeans. soul. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm thinking of the dude who is uh, 40 and in a band that plays at your favorite bar, and he's got like the bedazzling on the pocket. Is that rad? Yeah, yeah, those are rad. Okay, those are rad. All right, because I I don't know necessarily if I think that's rad, but if that that's the only thing that comes to mind of like being a rad dad gene. Uh, so anyway, here are the questions for uh, all the people listening on the podcast. Uh, Bryson 10 and Rad Dad Jeans both ask about the freshmen. We have high expectations for Nick Singleton from his hometown of Reading. How do you project running back workload by midseason? And then our famous Rad Dad Jeans asks, uh, of the five-star freshmen, who ends up playing? And if so, predict their stat lines for the year. Uh, Nate, I'm not doing that second part. I'm not going to do that second part. Yeah. <laughs> Deny Dennis Sutton is good. He's going to play. Is sure. he going to start? I don't think he's going to start to start the year because, and I made this comparison the other the other week, Micah Parsons didn't start as a freshman. Koa Farmer was the starter, and Micah Parsons came in and played. Now, Micah Parsons was playing an entirely new position as opposed to Deny, who was playing the position he's played for the last year. But he hasn't even really played edge defender in high school. He was still playing kind of a 3-5 technique where he's inside of the tackle at McDonough. He was not a full-time edge defender, so he's not going to start the season. But he might, in the same way, play the majority of the snaps. What is your view? I think a more interesting one here might be Nick Singleton, because there is, as uh, Bryson asked, by midseason, do you see a shift there? You see, could there be a shift there? I, I don't want to put that much on anybody, but... I don't think that there's any doubt that you can look at what Penn State's running back room was this past season and think that there should be and will be an open competition for to to be the alpha, to be the top dog in that room. Uh, it, it just there there wasn't anyone who obviously Kevon Lee emerged as the best. But even then, I, I don't know that he would argue that it wasn't to the standard that needs to take place for Penn State's offense to, to operate to its maximum potential. So, no, I, I, 
I don't think that there is any benefit or usefulness at this point of looking at running backs as though it is a one man job. It's not even, even if there is an alpha, even if there, even if Nick Singleton comes in and is awesome, it's not like he's going to be the only guy who gets carries there. Right. I I mean, even on a limited basis or a limited split, you're still going to have maybe two to one, right. Uh, Two to one to one, three to one to one to one. Right. You get what I'm saying? It's going to be, it's going to be divided there. So do, do I think that Nick Singleton can come in and win the job and, and get the most reps? Yeah, I do. I do. I think he's that talented, but he's got to do it. And a big part of that, I was actually talking to somebody uh, the other day. You know this. I know this. Pass protection is a huge part of it. And something he's never done. Like, really never done. Correct. Yeah. And so all of that, like, it's such a sexy position of, hey, love what this guy can do. He can catch the ball. Uh, he can, you know, do, do all kinds of things. It's great. Right. Like touchdowns carries, whatever. Yeah. Uh, if he can't pass protect and if he can't, if he can't know those protections, right. Uh, Like understand and get what's going on offensively, he's not going to play or not going to play at the rate that you would think, because otherwise they would have to hide him. Yeah. Right. It would have to be it would have to be making accommodations for whatever those shortcomings are, um, you know, to get him the ball and to accentuate what he can do in that space. Yeah. But also not have to have him be a liability that, hey, guess what? You, you saw the impact. Yep. You saw the impact just this past season of what happens when your pass protection isn't there from the running back position. Yep. There's an impact on the quarterback. It yep. hurts the quarterback. Yep, and and there's a lot of you know, looking at the the looking at the pass protection too. There are times where somebody else isn't right, you, somebody else has made a mistake, and you as the running back are the last line of defense. And I think that's where sometimes even Kevon Lee, who was good at knowing his assignment as the veteran, didn't compensate for some mistakes or some things that the offense can't predict. Like in the Michigan game, they just sent too many players to block, so he had to block one of them, and maybe he didn't pick the best of those bad options. There's a lot of nuance even beyond that for a veteran player. Now, I look at it a little bit differently in sense of everyone wants carries, workload, snaps, starter, depth chart. But really, as you pointed out, as I muppet my head around the screen, it's about their job description. So you can have different skills and have different roles within the offense. The lead back, the guy who's going to be the, the the guy that when you need to get a yard, you get a yard, right? Or somebody that's a short yardage back, whether that's Tyler Warren or not. And then you've got your guy that you want to hit home, home runs with. Maybe you've got a package for a receiving back. But there, a lot of those guys, one of the tenants getting on the football field in those situations is your pass protection because you got to have the option of, of passing the football of, of throwing the football when X running back is on the field. So I think that's a really good point. And I don't know that I just don't know that uh, any one guy in year one is going to take over all of those things, even if you want Singleton to be able to do that. I think by the I think by the middle of the season, it, it might not be an unrealistic ask. It might be something that you can get to that point. But I, I think that that's a, a 
it'll be a hurdle. Like, I mean, I, I, yeah. I if I'm, if I'm soothsaying what August is going to sound like from James Franklin, that's what I think it will sound like is he'll be saying, yeah, Nick Singleton has all these physical capabilities. He, he very clearly has separated himself or has emerged as a guy who has the ability to do it, but his pass protection and the physicality that that position needs to bring to, to literally just get your nose in there. Uh, that'll be something that has to come along. Yep. And, uh, and that's why the one thing I'll say is if he starts ripping off big runs, maybe you'll, you'll have some substandard pass protection so you can get more explosiveness on the field. But even then, well, if you just bring in Kevon Lee as your third down back. Anyway, uh, this one, Larry Barbario asks how many pits are in a pair? I don't know. I was not prepared for this. Yeah, I don't I even think, eat pears. I, think I, I like pears. I'm a pear guy, but it's a it's more of a Christmas thing. Christmas pears. Pears have uh, they don't have pits. They're they're cores. Oh, it's like an apple. Well, I'm really glad that you're here on the show because I would have uh, not been able to answer that question. All right, there you go, Larry. There's your there's your answer. They don't have any pits. They have cores. Steven. Peaches have pits. Plums have pits. Uh, stone fruits, right? That's what they're called. I think. I think those are. The, that's why it's a. That's why it's a. As a anyway, who cares? Uh, <laughs> Stephen Barniak, who is sneaky enough to have two separate accounts to ask questions. Don't think I didn't see that, Stephen. You get one question. No. No double dipping. You're the kind of guy that double dips his chips at a party, aren't you, Stephen? All right. Let's get to his question. Uh, do you think Franklin needs to change his views on the transfer portal? I can understand wanting to be thorough and finding the right fit, but it isn't, isn't it time to take some gambles on a few players? Isn't the whole point to have the best players on the field? Nate, I feel like, I feel like he's done that. I feel like Penn State yeah. has been a little more aggressive bringing in players, uh, more so than they have in the past. AJ Litton was that. Yep. Wasn't he? Yeah. Pure talent, a guy that had pure talent, but, you know, there were some issues within the Florida State. Uh, you know, I, I think that they've taken a shot on some players. There has to be a balance. It can't just be one or the other because if if they throw all caution to the wind and bring in players who disrupt the locker room or the chemistry or don't bring to the field what they need at a position, then you've wasted a scholarship and people will be bad about that. People won't, people won't be happy about that situation. So I, I certainly think that there's a balance. I, I, his, what, what, what he has said and what rings true to me is that their thoroughness in the recruiting process is very important to how this, the, the program operates. Like it, right. it is, they, they consider it paramount to, understand who they're getting right he talks about it all the time about talking he, he makes a joke about uh you talk to the teachers you talk to the trainers you talk to the coaches and then you talk to the janitor right at the school yep to find out if he if if this player is respectful to everyone and and when people aren't looking right do they uphold the values that penn state wants to bring into the program so yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that there is a danger to the transfer portal 
of not doing your homework because it has to happen so quickly that, uh, yeah, maybe, maybe you will miss out on someone because you're not in early enough. You don't extend an offer early enough, uh, in that process. But I think that you would rather be sure. I think that the guys that they want to bring into the program, um, can, can probably respect that, right? Like they, they can probably, uh, understand that it, it is, it is better to enter into an environment where that element is taken seriously than not. Yeah. Also, we have an update on, uh, on Steven Barnyak. Uh, the other question was submitted by Andrew Barnyak. So, but so I, you're out of line. No, well, saying. okay. Maybe. Or they're twins looking at their, 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 their Twitter photos. So they're either twins or very familiar, familial brothers, or yes, uh, uh, somebody has a, a duplicate account under Steven and Andrew. Either way, I should mitigate my stance. So Steven, I conditionally apologize. Okay, let's get to our next question. <laughs> Matt Shipman says, do you think Caden Wallace is the starting right tackle for Penn State in 2022? Or do you think after his rough 2021 season, there's going to be an open competition? Nate, I talked about this yesterday on the show of it's one of the questions I want to know the most. I want to know the truth about this particular conversation. How do the coaches in the building feel really about Caden Wallace playing right tackle? Because if they don't feel comfortable with him. And it was, we didn't have anybody that could fill the role that we really wanted. He played there because he was the best possible option. They're not going to admit that. They don't, because that would do them no service. That would do Wallace no service. And going into 2022, if they don't get a tackle in the portal or one of their young guys doesn't step up, they're not going to publicly say, yeah, we, uh, we, we, we looked for other guys, and he's our best option. They're going to say, no, we believe in Caden Wallace playing tackle. The only time you're ever going to hear any shred of like truth, maybe, is if they nail a guy in the portal. He comes in and plays well, and Wallace plays well on the interior. So is that a fair read of the situation? Uh, no, because that's your truth. Like you're saying like the only shred of truth you're going to get is because you've dictated what that truth is. And I don't think that you're allowing for the idea that that maybe their opinion is that he actually is a good tackle, right? But or I that, guess that is his best position, right? The, but no, that, that's what I, that's what I mean about either that is the truth, or here are the other ways you wouldn't. Un there are only a few ways that you really get the actual truth about that. Yeah. But you're right; I am coming from the idea that he is not a tackle based on the question and based on what I saw. So yeah, there is the bias there to start. Well, okay, so so you be the analyst because you're the analyst here. What, does Penn State have a right tackle as its roster is presently comprised that can play day one better than Caden Wallace out of position can play at that position? Uh, as of right now, no, but we don't know some things about Jimmy Crist would be the one guy I'd look at is I want to know what his development is like this offseason to see if he can be a guy that can be a part of that conversation. And this should all be underscored by the idea that I still think that even if Caden Wallace has to play right tackle and if that's the ideal position for him, he can get better. This is not to say that he is bad. I have my opinion has been 
or that his, his potential is bad, I should say. My opinion has been that he would be best suited and his skills would be accentuated more easily and more thoroughly on the inside. But he also was not so terrible that Pensei could not operate an offense in 2021, uh, right, Nate? I mean, like, yep. as far as it goes, it was not up to a great standard, but he uh, he allowed them to throw the football. And that yep. as that would be the weakness of what he did, and he still was able to operate at that level. Being better is always the preference. And there, uh, the, 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 the goal will be to seek out somebody who is excellent at every position. But if you've got a great offensive line and he's getting to a level of, of, you know, playing a bit more even, inconsistent. Yeah. He's more than good enough to play that position. I think I think that, that Phil Troutwine over the last uh, two years really has, now, and I'm not saying that this is right or wrong, but I think that, that his consistent approach or the standard that he wants to bring is this notion of flexibility and versatility. Yeah. And so you're not necessarily now, obviously you're, you are recruiting tackles and you are recruiting guards and you are recruiting a center or centers, but as many tackles that can play guard or guards that can play tackle as you can have yep. ends up being to your benefit because it's, it's just that there aren't enough. Yep. <laughs> there aren't, there aren't enough. And you don't, tackles you've got to make do with what you've got and put the best combination on the field that you possibly can and it's not not every single person of your best five are going to perfectly align left tackle left guard center right guard right tackle just the way it is yep And, and and not every player you recruit is going to work out it's, I mean, that's that's the other obvious reality that you have to then work, work into the formula of, okay, we we recruited this guy that's a tackle only and he can't he can't play like there are there are things that we predicted that would get better that did not. And there were yeah. things that we thought we could work with that he hasn't been able to master yet. And now what do we do? He doesn't play on the inside. He can't play on the outside. We don't have another option there. So recruiting guys that have the flexibility to play both is the right answer. And by the way, that's also what top programs do. It's just that they are possibly elite at both positions. Everyone wants to recruit for versatility, but when your versatility does everything well, that's when you the that's when you start cooking with heat. That's when it really the the fire gets going. The the little uh, the little post mortem of the national championship game where I was able to break down the number of five stars that Georgia has recruited over the last four recruiting cycles was eye opening. Yep. In that in that you can miss when you have that many you can miss yep. because they are there are going to be misses. Georgia had twenty some five stars over the last four recruiting classes and not all of them hit. And so like, that's, that is the difference. That's, that is what separates is, and it's not just five stars, right? Because that distinction between a high four star and a five star isn't always that great. But when, when you are stockpiling talent, it doesn't kill you. It doesn't crush you if your evaluation or if the motivation or effort that a player puts in, or even if they get the trouble, like whatever it is, for whatever reason that it doesn't work out. It, it doesn't kill you if you're that program. Yep. Yes, that's exactly right. And for every three-star that you hit on or every four-star, low four-star that you were right about, it only accentuates what you're doing. And and 
it's all about averages. It's all about opportunities and and mitigating the number of variables between and barriers between success. So just as a quick example, Amari Evans is a great athlete, and they firmly believe, having seen him work out at Penn State, that he's going to be a great receiver. But when you're looking at his film and you're recru- you're evaluating recruits and ana- analyzing all this stuff, and if you didn't see any of those things, you weren't at that private workout, you don't have any of that information. So you may see great athlete, but you don't know if the bar- the barriers that are there to then help that player succeed or fail. Penn State, in this recruiting class, believes that Amari Evans is going to be a great receiver, and they have more information than other people because they have access to it. So it's all it's it's a lot of this stuff is is about things like that. And when you bring up five stars and four stars, Nate, this is a really I think this is a great next question. I'm throwing it in here uh, as a bonus one. If Franklin can consistently land three five star players per year, how long would it take to get to elite level? It's like a math problem. Um uh hmm. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I think that that's a faulty logic in that consistently landing three five stars a year should naturally land you four five stars, five five stars, six five stars, right? Like <laughs> the the reason that Alabama has the success that it does, it, it, this isn't crazy insight it's just because they they get the best players to come play for them and they do it every single year (laughs) and so it doesn't necessarily matter if they're 20 high four stars low you know five stars what have you it's just it's just this wealth of high-end players they don't take many flyers like they don't take guys who aren't in that conversation as being among the best at their position so if 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 James Franklin and Penn State can consistently land three five stars a year, uh, it I don't think that's enough alone to to get Penn State to elite. There's and we don't have all day here, right? But it's about Penn State needs those three three five stars to produce dividends and win yeah. and create an incentive and an example for other five stars to think, hey, this is a good place for me too. This is a yeah. good opportunity and they can develop me. They can make sure that the, fi- that the other five stars don't miss that there aren't misses and go from there. Yep. And if they are, and this is the other part that's going to be true with the transfer portal, that is true in free agency of you're a place that guys want to come because they feel like they have the best possible opportunity to win a championship and get to the NFL. And you do that by being highly successful over a long period of time and offering that to players that you can fill the gaps with if you do miss on players. So I think that's a, that's a fair point. Nate. And make and make money. And make money. Uh, NIL do, do is you, a thing. Do you have any questions? For you? I asked, I asked you a bunch of questions today. So do you have any questions? What's on your mind? Let's throw it up here. Nate, what's on your mind? Um... No, I don't. Yeah, I, what, did you, you do that thing? One. Did you do that thing that I told you to do? The uh, the top five, the top five things that need to be addressed for Penn State football to win the ultimate prize. <laughs> 
Uh, no, I did not. Since uh, you sent that to me at eleven thirty, did I? When, did I? <laughs> when will you? When will you do that? When will that be out? Because I need to see it. Oh man! First off, I have to get my whiteboard all cleaned off so I can do my brainstorming. But you, uh, you know, I'll get that done probably by next week. Right now, we're looking at linebackers and taking a look at what it takes to play Mike linebacker for Penn State, which you have an assist in in my brain as far as talking to you about uh, some stuff. So that's coming out today at BlueWhiteIllustrated.com. If you're watching this as it's released on uh, Thursday, the 27th. So that'll do it today. Thanks, Nate. I had a great time. Did you have a great time? Always. Anytime is a great time with you, buddy. Good. Good. I like, I hope... We're having some fun here in the offseason. Hope you enjoyed our mailbag show. So be looking out about every Wednesday at Thomas Frank Carr at Nate Bauer BWI for the mailbag to ask your questions on the show. We'll be doing this throughout the offseason. I'm your host, Thomas Frank Carr, here on the BWI Daily Edition. We'll talk to you tomorrow. <laughs>